I really appreciate, I'm thankful for those who were able to come this past Wednesday night and join us for a concert of prayer as we specifically prayed uh, for our family fun nights and for the Life Conference, but also for our own ongoing preparation and leaning into depending on the Holy Spirit who can enable us to walk the worthy walk that we've been talking about as we've studied this book, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. If you're visiting with us uh, this weekend, we have been working our way through Paul's letter to Ephesians, and we are in chapter 5, verse 18. I recognize that there may be some phrases or things that I refer to that you may not connect with, having not been here in the previous weeks, but I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit allows, as has been prayed, each one of us to uh, apply it to our lives how He desires to. And Brandy and I really do need your prayers this week. I mean, come on. We're going to be with 5,500 teenagers for a week. Some of them in this room. I would make them stand up, but I want the week to go well. No, I'm, I'm really excited. I don't know how I'll be when I get back. I'll still be excited. I just think I'm going to be really tired. So I do ask that you keep us safe as we travel and play and that God would have his way among us. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm just going to read the 18th verse. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I cannot emphasize enough how important this passage of Scripture is. The filling of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer. This is the resource, the enabling, the power to be the people that God has called us to be and to do the things that he's called us to do. And what I want you to catch right from the start of is this. All the things that we have been talking about from chapter 4, verse 1, to this passage about walking a worthy walk, walking in humility, walking in patience, would be nothing more than a legalistic list of do's and don'ts if it were not for this text. And the reality of it. Take away Ephesians 5.18 and all you have to live your Christian life is a legalistic code to try really hard to live up to. In the middle of our study in the book of Ephesians, we came chapter 3 verse 16 in which we speak about the inner man needing to be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we emphasized almost every week how chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians tells me who I am in Christ, my position as a believer. But then, 
Beginning in chapter 4, the admonition is, believer, because this is who you are, because you're forgiven, loved, made free, made holy, and whole, set apart, seated at the right hand of God, made worthy and whole and holy and on and on. Because of those things, because that's true of who you are, we need to live accordingly. Chapter 3, verse 16 is where the power switch gets turned on, if you will. It's where by a choice of my will, I ask, I invite, I allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work through my life. So when I come to the Holy Spirit and say, I want you to settle down and be at home in my life. I want you to be in charge. I need you to strengthen me in my inner man. Now listen, if chapter 3 verse 16 is the ignition switch, then chapter 5 verse 18 is the fuel. It's where the power comes from. Recently we spoke about the foolishness about foolishness and, and not to walk this Christian life as a fool, but to walk as somebody who's wise. And perhaps the greatest fool, the greatest fool as a Christian is the person who tries to walk out their Christian life in their own strength, to do it in the flesh, without any fuel, without any power from God, without the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because you can try all you want, but without the power of God, it is impossible to walk the Christian life that we've been called to walk, that we've been called to live. I want to tell you something, and, and my, my hope is even as we get started, I, I would try, I would desire to grip your hearts. As we begin to move into this text a little bit deeper this morning, If I don't understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit, if I don't know what it means to be controlled by the Spirit, I am opening myself up for some very crippling problems as a Christian. One of the things we spoke of last week is that when I approach walking, this Christian walk, when I desire to, when I approach wanting to live out my faith, but I rely on my own strength, what I end up doing is performing, doing all of these acts, these behaviors, and performing for other people so that they think that, that I look like the Christian that I claim to be. I end up pretending that these things are real in my life. I go on pretending and performing that everything's all right, when the truth is not everything is all right. And instead of letting the Holy Spirit work through me and in me, I begin to do everything I can in my own strength, in the flesh, to perform. And if I'm into performing my Christian life in my own strength, one of the things that I can do is just crank it up. I can try harder, I can keep doing it, I can go and go and go and do all these things on my list, and it requires me to deny reality 
more and more. And it, did, it requires of me to begin to live a lie. And it goes deeper and deeper. And I become more and more frustrated. The other thing that I can do if I get into that kind of lifestyle is I can get to the point and we have a whole generation that is right here to just chuck it. To give up. Because they haven't seen and they haven't experienced, they haven't walked in the Spirit and the power of God, they're like, what is the point? It doesn't work. So they quit. I have seen many, many people do just that in one way, shape, or form. Listen, the only way to break away from this maddening frustration of trying to produce in my own strength, in the flesh, is when I do give up. Freedom can come when you and I give up trying to perform, when we give up trying to pretend that everything's okay. But don't give up on, don't leave the Word of God, don't leave Christ behind, don't leave the church, don't check out. Instead, I need to realize that the place I need to be is to give up trying to live my Christian life in my own strength. That is what I need to give up. To realize that the truth will set me free from this bondage, the truth is simply this, living a spirit-controlled, not a Tim-controlled life. If I don't understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit, I am opening myself to some crippling problems in my Christian life. One of them, I'm going to be really frustrated, and that could lead me to chucking the whole thing. So hear the warning. Pretending results in me acting like I have it altogether. Some pretenders have pretended and wore their mask for so long that they actually do believe that they have arrived spiritually. They feel very spiritual and very superior to everyone else. They act very pious. They act humble. That kind of performing is not a spirit-controlled life. I am the one who is cranking this out. And because of that, I start to feel pretty good about myself. Look what I do. Oh, God, I am so thankful that I'm not like that person. Jesus confronted the Pharisees with that kind of mindset all the time, didn't he? The result of that kind of thinking and the result of that kind of living is just a group of proud, self-righteous people who in reality are bound with fear. Fear of being found out. Fear of other people realizing that I don't have it all together. 
it leads to some incredible emotional pain because I can't be real with what's really going on in my life, what's really going on in my marriage. And because I pursue it, I refuse to give it up, after a while I don't even realize what's real anymore. The very thought of revealing what's really going on in my life to you terrifies me. The very thought of revealing myself in front of the body of Christ, terrifying. The the thought of revealing myself to God is something that I'll run from. But I want you to hear the good news. I actually wrote it this way. To hear the good news of the gospel, which is hilariously redundant. To hear the good news of the good news. And then I thought about it, I said, actually... That works. I want you to hear the good news contained in the good news. You don't have to pretend anymore. I heard a rumble. I think somebody said amen. Got to help the pastor out, man. Not only do I not have to pretend, I would take it further than that. With what we have talked about over the last few weeks of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit would necessitate that not only do I not have to pretend anymore, but I would say I can't pretend anymore when I'm walking in the filling of the Spirit. I cannot do it. The Spirit of God will not allow me to. The shining of His light, the truth He brings out of my light of showing where the lies are and the pretense and the mask, I can't pretend anymore. However, to quit pretending, to admit these things to myself, to God, to a brother or sister in Christ, it would require me to become broken. For those of you who are visiting with us, I would just point you to the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Jesus saying, blessed are the broken. Meaning this, when you and I come to the end of ourselves in this Christian faith journey where I recognize and I acknowledge I cannot do this. It is impossible for me to live out the Christian faith. I've tried it. I've failed. I give up. But it is possible if you live through me. That's what brokenness is. Coming to the end of myself. To quit pretending I need to be broken It would require me to call my sin, sin, not just a bad habit, not just a weakness, not to blame it on someone else. That's certainly part of what it means to empty myself. Maybe that's what Paul meant when he said, when I'm weak, 
That's when I'm strong. Because when I'm weak, I quit pretending that I'm strong. And now I'm able to be filled with the Spirit. And there, indeed, I am strong. I hope you caught that. When I'm weak, when I quit pretending, then I'm strong because then I can be filled. If you're with me, say amen. 50%. Thank you. Catch the sequence. One, I don't have to pretend anymore. That's good news. Two, more than that, I can't pretend anymore. More than that, I won't. I refuse to pretend anymore. What does that look like in someone's life? What does it look like to be broken like that? To come to the point where I can acknowledge I don't have to pretend anymore, I can't pretend anymore, I won't pretend anymore. To go from pretending and performing to being real, authentic, to bring Jesus, to be Jesus with skin on, to walk out, to live out my faith, to walk in freedom because I've been made free. To live a transformed from the inside out, not a shell. What is brokenness like that? What does it look like? What would bring me to that? Well, the truth is it often takes a crisis. It often involves, as we learned a few weeks ago, a kairos moment. Remember, a kairos moment is a fixed and definite time, an opportunity given to you by God within a limited amount of time to respond. We've all had them, you will have them again, and we have all had them and said, maybe tomorrow. And we all know tomorrow we did nothing with it. The Kairos moment was lost. In this context, we have the opportunity, this local church, this local body, on the 7th of July, to respond to God. Have you ever been broken? Have you come to the end of yourself? I don't know what the event might be that took you there, but it's not just a moment of crisis in my life. It's about how crisis brought about a point in my faith walk where I recognize I can't do this. I can't change myself from trying harder. It is Romans 7. Lord, the things I want to do, I can't do. And the things I want, the things I don't want to do, I keep doing them. Who will set me free from this body of death? Because I can't do it. He gives the answer in Romans 8. Have you been broken? Have you allowed yourself to be emptied? Have you allowed yourself to be broken before God because 
it's really important. And without this reality happening in your life, you will walk in frustration and cranking out a pretending Christian life. I know somebody who, as a believer, genuine believer, but for 20 years, walked in pain. They were not able to, as we've learned in this letter, to to take off, to put off, to take background. They stuffed the pain. They medicated the pain. They put on a happy face. They masked the pain. And over time, the ground that was given to that pain led to anger. And over time, the anger led to bitterness. And then it led to fear. Fear that they'd be found out. Fear that, how could I admit that this Christian life isn't working? What will other people think of me? And then the guilt, pounded on by the lies and manipulation of the enemy, God doesn't love you. God won't forgive you. You're a worthless Christian. Just chuck it. But one day, like the prodigal son, if you will, they came to their senses. In a kairos moment, the Spirit of God brought them to a place where they realized, my mask and my performing has no life. I can't pretend anymore. And then they allowed themselves to be emptied, to be poured out, to be broken. I'm not going to pretend anymore. And then to humble themselves. And at that point, they were able to be filled with the Spirit of God. The story goes on. And everything was wonderful from then on. They had no more problems. I'm filled with the Spirit. I understand what that means. And now, every moment of life is wonderful. I have the victory of Jesus. You're just an ongoing liar. (laughs) Not at all. But listen, understanding what it truly means to spiritually be broken before God so that you can be filled What that means is that person can now continually walk in brokenness before God. Absolute dependence, even as the prayer in the video, to walk in dependence upon the power of God to continually fill them because they chose that they're not going to pretend anymore. The question I have for all of us this morning is this. Does brokenness always have to be painful? This breaking, this pouring myself out before the Lord, is it always a painful thing? Well, obviously, the answer to that is no. However, I think the degree of potential pain that we will go through is directly proportional to how long I've been hiding, 
How long I've been stuffing things? How long I've been medicating things? How long have I pretended? How long have I crammed things down into my life to the point where I have so ignored them I don't even remember? It's just those events and those times where it rears up. Oh, yeah, it's still there. Maybe the breaking experience is always painful because it's not easy to take off a mask and to live without it. But it's when I do that that the filling of the Spirit comes. I've said it a half a dozen times. I'll keep saying it. There is no resurrection power without the cross. All right. Are you happy you came? Everything I told you last week, this morning, sets up this text. Ephesians 5.18 can be broken down into three sections. The first is a contrast. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is simply excessive indulgence, which, which leads to sensual pleasures. Debauchery, excessive indulgence, which leads to sensual pleasures. That's the contrast. And then there's the command. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's the second part. The third section is the results of the filling of the Spirit, which is speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And by the way, the results of walking in the filling of the Spirit takes us right up to Ephesians 6, verse 10, and the armor of God in the battle that we live. Because listen, the filling of the Spirit will affect every area of your life. Every relationship will be affected Every part of your life will be affected by the filling of the Spirit. And as we continue on in Ephesians, it's going to address every one of them. A contrast, a command, and then the results. We're only going to look at the contrast with the time we have left. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which leads to excessive indulgence and sensual pleasures. Now, you may not catch this at first, But Paul is using a very effective illustration here. Webster Dictionary defines the illustration as an act of making clear something that is not clear by using a pictorial representation. To use words to describe something else. To make it clear. Now the reason this given illustration works or the reason any illustration works is it has to connect with the person who's hearing it. If it makes no sense to them, then they don't gain any insight to what you're trying to point out. The point is never the illustration. It's just something that's used to point to something deeper, something more important. The illustration helps to make the main point clear. Paul's use of wine here is an illustration to make a bigger point. It connects very well with these Ephesian readers. The real focus of what he's trying to talk about here is two-dimensional. 
two things that he wants us to understand and he uses wine to illustrate it. What Paul is dealing with in terms of contrast is, first of all, external control or being externally controlled. And the second thing that he addresses is excess. Two concepts addressed in this illustration, very important. Being externally controlled and excess. Wine is simply a beautiful illustration of both of those things. His focus is not the wine, it is the external control and the excess. The point is this, for the believer, for you and me, the source of my joy, the source of what makes me okay, the source of what makes me acceptable, the source of what brings me comfort can never be external. If I depend on what's external to bring those things in me, he then contrasts that to an internal control, the Holy Spirit. Do you catch that? Don't worry, I'm going to keep unpacking it. Wine is a great illustration of external control. Wine is a great illustration of counterfeit control. Something that gives me a temporary kind of joy. That temporarily makes me feel okay. Don't have to worry about my problems. Something that seems to work to make me feel better. But again, it's an external control, something outside of myself. Are you with me? What I want you to note is that Paul could have used many things to illustrate this point. He happened to use wine because it connected with the church in Ephesus very well. See, I wonder if Paul was writing this to us today and he wanted us to warn us about external controls being the source of our joy and excess being something that isn't for the believer. I wonder if he would have used wine. He might have used something entirely different. Would you agree? Question. And if you're going to even begin to apply this message today and work towards the unpacking of the filling of the Spirit, you have to spend some time this week answering this question between you and the Lord. Here it is. What externally brings you joy? What externally brings you peace? What externally brings you life? What externally brings you fulfillment, makes you feel okay? Here's another question. What in your life do you use in excess? You've got to be able to answer those questions. See, if I'm wrapped up in an external control, that being the thing that affirms me, I can promise you this because the enemy is so crafty. 
I will be deluded in my thinking. I will be easily deceived and easily derailed in my walk of faith. It will keep me, that external thing, it will keep me from walking a worthy walk. I guarantee it. I'm not sure Paul is making a statement so much about wine as much as he's making a statement about external things controlling my life. External things being my source of joy, as, as well as making the point that excess is something that I have to avoid. Wine is just a beautiful illustration of both of those things because it connected with the Ephesian people. Here's why. In Ephesus, their staple drink was wine. Therefore, they didn't make the connections that we probably make when we read this passage. They drank wine like we drink water. But the wine they drank didn't have near the alcohol content that wine has today. That's just a fact. Do a little research if you think I'm off base here. The water they had available was usually bad. Making wine purifies the water. It's tremendously diluted. Think grape juice. They would have had to, literally, they would have had to have drank gallons of it to get drunk. Are you with me now? Now, obviously, there were wine, kinds of wine that they would have set aside for special occasions, for celebrations that had a higher alcohol content because it had a time allowed to ferment. The point is this. When the Ephesian reads this from Paul, don't get drunk on wine, the, the illustration works. It connects with them because wine was part of their everyday life. It was watered down, and as they drank it, in this everyday event, they realized that there is a good thing connected to it. However, in excess, if I looked at it as being my source of joy, and I could... Because if I just drank and drank and drank and drank and drank and drank, I could get blasted. And I'd have the excess as well. And it would become an external control. The problem isn't the wine per se. The problem is when it was used in excess and that external control becomes the source of my joy my comfort, my peace, I don't have to think about my problems anymore, that's when it's wrong. We use all sorts of other things to accomplish the same, don't we? Paul's admonition to us can be missed if I don't understand the illustration. Don't get drunk. That's good advice. I hope you never get drunk. That's good advice, period. Well, pastor, I, I, I don't drink. I mean, at most, I have half a glass of wine once a year on a holiday, but I have never been drunk. Fantastic. Good for you.
Because if that's how you're hearing this passage, you are missing the point. Here's the point. As a believer, don't let any external thing control you. Don't let any external thing be the source of your comfort, joy, your your self-worth, be the source of your life, and don't allow the excess of anything into your life because excess of anything will control you. And we all wrestle with this. We all have given ourselves to things externally to help us escape from stress, from a hurtful event, to escape, to find comfort, to help us cope. You see, Paul's fear when he's speaking to these people was that they would bring that kind of mentality into their Christianity. And so he says in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God, not of how you live your life in the world. It's got to be different. Listen, Christianity is not about escaping. Christianity is not about denying. Christianity is not about stuffing or medicating. Christianity is about the filling and the controlling of the Holy Spirit, not a lack of control, but the controlling of and the empowering of the Holy Spirit gives me the resources to face reality, to take the mask off so I can be healed, so I can be set free, so I can live out the life that He's called me to be. Again, the good news of the gospel is we don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to pretend anymore. One of the identifying distinctives of this church is that people come here and they're accepted. May that reality go to a whole nother level. That what marks us here is I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to pretend when I'm with you. I don't have to pretend when I'm with you. I don't have to pretend when I'm with you because I know you accept me and love me and you're going to lock shields with me and together we're going to walk this out and be the people and be the church that God's called us to be. I don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to pretend anymore because we know the truth and the truth will set us free. Truth is a person. Don't get drunk, meaning don't be controlled by something outside of yourself, but be filled with the Spirit. How do you get filled? What does that mean? Or you're going to have to come back in two weeks. I trust that as the Holy Spirit... No, I trust that as you allow the Holy Spirit to bother you this week. 
as you consider these things, that our hearts and minds, that we would continually struggle with these things, with these concepts. So I'm leaving you hanging, and that's okay. It's good for you. Because there's plenty of things that the Holy Spirit still wants to be working in our lives, right? There's probably still things in my life that I need to take background for and relinquish to the Holy Spirit controlling those things in my life that we learned about earlier. I need to spend some time finding out what do I, where do I, and it's, remember, it's only temporary, but what do I turn to to find comfort, escape, cope, find life? And what do I do in excess? Just stand with me, let's pray. Father, I pray that we would indeed spend time this week considering these things that we rely on, that we use. And we, don't, we may not even know it, but I trust that your Holy Spirit would be very specific to us. What do we look to to find source, our source of joy? It may not even be bad things. But what are the things that we do in excess? What do I throw myself into? What do I really begin to believe that those things will fill me? leave me frustrated. Paul's warned us. May we hear the warning. May we hear it clearly, but not only hear it, but we would be doers of the word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Aren't you glad you came? I'm glad you came.